Good afternoon. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Greg Lois. I'm the managing partner of the Lois Law Firm. And if you're with us here today, uh, it's to talk about uh, how we go through and, and look at cases when we're evaluating them for exposure. Uh, this is totally live. So please uh, feel free to ask me questions as we go through. I did email everyone a handout. It's also uh, available right now. You can download it if you haven't seen the handout. And I tried to do something a little different with the handout this time, uh, which was to reproduce a couple sections of my handbook. Um, and really the one, the parts of this presentation that are a little more complicated or complex. And the idea there was that you'd have a takeaway. So when you're trying to do some of the math on stacking or some of the credits, uh, it would be there right in front of you. All right, speaking of my book, I'm really happy to say that uh, it's out. Uh, we just got it from the printer. Uh, this is the 2019 edition of my New Jersey Workers' Compensation Handbook. Uh, everybody who asked me a question here today is going to get one of these mailed to them today. So if you want an early edition of the handbook, uh, now is the perfect time to ask some questions on this or really any topic in Workers' Comp. I'll try to answer as many questions as I can at the end. Um, but the handbooks are out, and soon you'll be getting an email from me uh, sort of saying, hey, if you want one, make a request. And we'll have, we have both digital editions and we have the physical handbooks. Uh, this year, the handbook um, had, had some pretty significant changes this year. Uh, we put some of the new cases that came out. Obviously, all the new maximum and minimum uh, statutory rates are in here. Uh, and we took out some of the big changes from last year. Uh, the, most, the biggest one, and the one we're going to talk about today when we talk about exposure, is commutations going away. I'm not sorry, not commutations, but credits um, for uh, prepayment of permanent residual disability. That's gone away. The statute was changed this year to eliminate that. All right, so let's move along. First, uh, our topic today is evaluating New Jersey workers' compensation cases for exposure. And I'm going to talk really about two very specific aspects of evaluating cases for exposure. Uh, one aspect is going to be uh, when. When should you be expecting defense counsel to reach out to you with their ideas about uh, how much the case is worth, uh, what the exposure is, and how to best reduce that exposure? And then I'm going to talk a little bit about how, the nuts and bolts of how we actually price a case from our end. Um, all right, so let's start with part one, uh, and that's going to be the when. When, when, when. And some of this answer may surprise you because I think the, we should always be telling our clients what we believe the exposure is. Uh, there's a lot of landmarks in a New Jersey workers' compensation case, and I'll talk about that in a second. But really, I think defense counsel should be communicating with the third-party administrator or the self-insured or the carrier all throughout the case to say, hey, here's where exposure is today. Here's where I think it's going to be tomorrow. Here's how I think things are changing, and here's how um, things that are developing in the case are going to affect exposure, meaning higher or lower. Um, so definitely in my office, at the time we draft our legal action plan and budget, which is within seven days of new file referral, uh, we're giving a preliminary estimate of exposure. And believe me, we use all sorts of uh, vague lawyer weasel words to say things like this estimate of exposure is preliminary and subject to change once I have more information, including medical reports and fact investigation and additional information. 
Uh, but we do try to put a ballpark on what we think the cases can be worth. And I actually judge my attorneys uh, based on how well they score. When we actually close cases, we go back and say, hey, that lip plan that we wrote a year ago, uh, how close did you get? Uh, how good was your estimate? And it's funny because here we have a mix of attorneys, um, just about 50-50. About half the attorneys are defense attorneys through and through. I've always done defense, and about half the attorneys that work here, we have 21 attorneys, uh, are former plaintiff's attorneys. And the plaintiff's attorneys all think that they're better at pricing cases than the defense attorneys. So we kind of laugh about that and see how they uh, sort of stack up against each other. All right, so at the time of intake, you should be getting a ballpark as to what the exposure is. And then uh, at certain landmarks in the case, for example, medical records come in, hey, look, physical therapy records, probably not gonna make a big difference, but an operative report, um, a image report that shows something new or different or changed, uh, that would certainly affect exposure. Um, before and after exams, so before we schedule an IME and after we get an IME, certainly we should be giving you an estimate of exposure. Uh, when we get a demand from our adversary, you should be getting an overall estimate and it should take into account our adversaries demand and at the time of the case is reaches a pretrial conference level and that's when a pretrial memorandum is issued the green sheet if you don't know what i'm talking about i'm going to get to that in just a second so uh throughout the lifetime of a case there's a lot of and this slide really is meant to show you sort of the big landmarks right the petitioner reaches mmi the parties get reports we go to court for a pre-hearing conference we argue uh it goes back and forth uh, my clients are always annoyed about the process in New Jersey because it is very slow and cases are, pre are discussed before judges many times and judges grant a lot of adjournments, uh, particularly to petitioners, attorneys, for them to go get their IME report and really get their case teed up and ready to go. So that's frustrating. If you're frustrated with that, uh, it's, it's just how the system works in New Jersey. Unfortunately, it is a slow system. I think that at the, by the time the parties have their own IME reports and exchange their expert reports, it's probably too late to be having that discussion about exposure with the client, uh, with the self-insured. Really, that uh, should have gone on for a long time. Also, I want to be very frank with you, uh, most injuries in New York, uh, I'm sorry, in New Jersey have basically a range that they're going to go for, and the permanency reports uh, that are obtained by both sides are really just sort of cementing the positions in there. Um, they never really uh, add up. Um, they don't really uh, move the needle too much, in my opinion. Uh, and that's because petitioners counsel are always going to the same four or five doctors um, and certain medical groups across the state of New Jersey. Uh, and they always reach these very high opinions of overall exposure. If you get a permanency report from the Sal Myers Medical Group that says a person has a 20% permanent residual disability as a result of uh, their, you know, sprain strain to their lumbar spine, that's equivalent to a zero in my book. That's a nothing because everybody has a 20. I think if you won an Olympic gold medal and went there, they would immediately find that you have a zero, uh, I'm sorry, a 20% disability. It's just like what their zero number is. Um, so, you know, we really discount uh, those findings. And obviously on the defense side, on the employer side, we're choosing physicians who we are, think are more conservative or less paternalistic uh, and are going to be more objective. All right, uh, the next time exposure is usually discussed is at the time settlement demands are made. Um, you know, look, I honestly think it's too late. I think that settlement demands are usually just uh, planting a flag. They're really uh, not where uh, petitioner's counsel is expecting the case to end up. Uh, they are just positional. So again, I think it's too late if you're waiting for demands to come out to be analyzing cases for exposure and starting to think about at the end of the day what that case is really worth. 
Um, so really my statement would be that at all times going through the life of the case and pretty much every time the attorney touches the file, they should be reaching out to you and giving you an idea of what the exposure is and how it's changing, whether it's getting better or worse uh, during the lifetime of the case. And certainly it should be going down, right? Our job as defense attorneys is to throw hand grenades into our adversaries' rowboats. We've got to do stuff to disrupt their cases, uh, challenge them, um, you know, uh, put their feet to the fire a little bit so that we can move the case in a, in a way that it goes to closure. Um, all right, I like to talk about the pretrial memorandum in New Jersey. Every case that goes to trial in New Jersey uh, statutorily should have a pretrial memorandum issued. Um, and this is really uh, both sides sitting down with the judge of compensation, and this would be before the first day of testimony, and writing out on a piece of paper called the pretrial memorandum, or it's called the green sheet, because the one that we have in court, uh, which is like a carbon copy that you write through, it's literally on green paper, green carbon paper. Uh, and that green sheet uh, requires all the parties to list their experts and their witnesses and what the medical findings were and what their experts found. And then at the very bottom of the green sheet, the judge is supposed to sign it and write their recommendation for settlement. So that's a huge tell for you know the adjuster or risk professional, risk manager. You wanna know what the judge is gonna do at the end of this trial? Well, let me tell you something. They're putting it right there on the green sheet. Unless you've got something amazing in your case, and by that I mean uh, real dynamite surveillance, you know, some real clear evidence of fraud, some malingering, um, something that you've got in your back pocket that can only come out at trial and that is going to affect uh, the overall positioning of the parties and, and really even the legitimacy of the claim. In my experience, the judge of compensation will typically find, as they tell you, they're going to find at the pretrial conference. Now, uh, that doesn't mean they always do, because if there's one party who's refusing to accept the recommendation of the workers' compensation law judge, who I remember is sitting over dozens of trials in a year and has a lot of experience, uh, and is you know just wants to be litigious, and the judge doesn't feel there's merit to their position, I can tell you that if it's defense who's ignoring the judge's recommendation, well, guess what? The judge is probably going to come in higher at the time that that case is fully tried and the judge issues their judgment. And if it's petitioner, generally speaking, who's being litigious and trying a case that doesn't need to be tried, uh, gen generally the judge will find below what was in their initial recommendation. So, you know, the judge will still has leeway, even if they put something in the pretrial memorandum, they can still find differently after trial. And again, uh, they can couch that by saying, well, based on the credibility of the witnesses and what I observed, uh, here are my findings and the judge can do this. And that will be given and afforded great deference by any appeals court. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about how we determine exposure. And really, in New Jersey cases, there's different types of exposure. I'm going to talk primarily <coughs> about uh, permanency exposure, because that's the one I think uh, the Defense Council is the best at figuring out and affecting. So um, let's talk about really simple ones. I'll tell you easy ones first, because they're really easy. Death cases. If we kill somebody, we owe their family 70% uh, of their average weekly wage, of course, subject to the maximums and minimums, which change every January. Really easy to figure it out. If they have a spouse, it's gonna be to the spouse for the remainder of their natural life, unless they get remarried, in which case there is a 100 week acceleration and then a termination of benefits. 
So this means the spouse who gets remarried essentially gets two years of benefits, 100 weeks of benefits, paid one time as a lump sum, and that's it. They're no longer considered a dependent. Well, in my experience, I've been doing this 18 years, I've never ever heard of a dependent getting remarried. Why would you? You're cutting off uh, the potential future benefits, which again are for the lifetime of the dependent spouse. Children are presumed dependents up until age 18. After 18, they can be found to be a dependent up to age 23 if they're still at school. Um, so uh, it can also be proportional. Uh, we've had cases in which the dependents uh, were legitimate and illegitimate offspring who resided both in this country and out of country. In those circumstances, the judge of compensation is to look at the actual um, uh, dependency, meaning how much money was the decedent actually sending uh, to these children from maybe different families or other people that they're supporting and generally speaking, not in this country. We've had some really challenging cases in which we've had to appoint guardians ad litem to come into court to represent unrepresented minors and even illegitimate children in other countries. Uh, those get a little bit complicated, but still uh, death cases in an admitted compensable death case, it's relatively simple to figure out exposure. It's generally the widow or spouse's life expectancy times uh, the percentage uh, 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 under the statute, which is 70% of the average weekly wage. It can be determined by looking at decennial life tables, determine out uh, exactly how long this person is expected to live, and determining exposure is quite straightforward. Uh, many times these cases are resolved by way of Section 20 because the dependent would rather just get a lump sum then get paid out $450 a week for the next, you know, 16 years or something like that. All right, um, let's talk about some other body parts or injuries that are pretty easy to price. Uh, scheduled loss of use body parts. And we're really in New Jersey talking about hands, finger, feet, and toes. There's an easy chart that we can use, even more simple. Uh, we tell clients to use the OSCAR online calculator system. Uh, the uh, Division of Workers' Compensation in New Jersey publishes the Oscar, uh, Oscar calculator system, excuse me, and that system enables us uh, to easily and quickly um, determine exactly what, how many weeks are due and what the overall award is, and it also allows for credits for pre-existing disability, et cetera. So calculating out the schedule loss of use, generally pretty simple and pretty straightforward, but remember, we're always confronted with the same problem, which is that our physician typically finds a much lower percentage of permanent residual disability uh, to a scheduled loss of use body part than does our adversary uh, physician. Remember, in New Jersey, there is no guidelines that have been adopted by the state of New Jersey for determining permanent impairment. This is very counter to many states which have either uh, used AMA guidelines, although that's come into a big problem in uh, Pennsylvania, where they've now declared that unconstitutional, uh, or other guideline systems like New York, which just makes up their own uh, disability duration guidelines. Uh, New Jersey has none, so the physicians are sort of left to their own devices to use uh, a mixture of uh, various guidelines and methodologies. The doctors in New Jersey are supposed to determine the amount of physical impairment that is what is awarded in New Jersey for scheduled loss of use, uh, as well as the ability, the impact on the ability to work or carry out their activities of daily living. So it's pretty broad as to what the physicians are looking at. But let's be frank, there's a normal range for each body part and pretty much each injury. It's relatively easy and straightforward and at the onset of the case, barring complication, 
uh, we should be able to give you a very good estimate of a scheduled loss of use body part. Um, most cases are going to fall within the range. Of course, it will vary by judge and by vicinage, and I'll talk about that in a second. Another thing I should mention, which is unique to the New Jersey workers' compensation system, in my experience, is that the judges actually look at medicals. I, it is very common to have a, a conversation with counsel uh, representing the petitioner and have the judge ask the parties, as they're discussing the case in the presence of the judge in chambers, have the judge say, hey, wait a second, let me see the MRI, let me take a look at that, and let me see the operative report too. The judges will not just rely on the experts. They'll take a look at the underlying medical, which is actually a really good feature of the New Jersey workers' compensation system because the judges are kind of medical experts once they've been on the bench for a little while. They really do know um, all the different uh, permutations of medical treatment. They see the same injuries all over and over again, and they really do understand the established norms for what these things are going to go for ultimately in terms of exposure. Um, now, New Jersey also has awards for permanent partial disability. Uh, these are sort of hybrid awards. They're really just for impairment. Um, the petitioner is getting awarded essentially for the changes to the physical uh, body, for their ability to work, or their ability to pursue activities of daily living. In New Jersey, employees, uh, injured workers, do not have to show any impairment to their wage loss uh, at all. Uh, in fact, they could go back to work, make more money working at the same job. They can get raises, bonuses, work more overtime, and still get an award for permanent partial disability. Uh, New Jersey is also interesting in that it gives awards for permanent partial disability to body parts in other states that would be scheduled. So uh, in New York, uh, a body part like a shoulder would be considered part of the statutory arm and compensated in terms of the arm. And the same thing for the hip. The hip would be considered part of the statutory leg. In New Jersey, the shoulder is uh, given a permanent partial disability award, not considered a scheduled body part, it's not considered part of the arm. Uh, and the same thing with the hip or pelvis, that's not considered part of the leg, it is given a permanent partial disability award. Um, it's pretty easy, again, to figure out the overall exposure in a permanent partial disability award. Of course, there are norms throughout the state. Um, for example, a single level operated herniated disc has a very specific percentage of disability. It's pretty consistent throughout the state. It's also very easy to figure out the award to calculate it because again, the Division of Workers' Compensation has published the online calculator. It's called OSCAR. I recommend that my clients use OSCAR and mainly because the judges are using OSCAR. When we're sitting there in chambers, this is how we are double checking and checking the work of the parties that, that they bring to the judge. The judge is going to check that on OSCAR as well. And OSCAR has a simple section for unscheduled body parts. Uh, so the parties can simply put in percentages of disabilities and what the average weekly wage and the year of loss and OSCAR will do all the math for them. Um, now, in New Jersey, you do get a credit for pre-existing disability. The disability does not have to be work-related and does not have to be the subject of a prior workers' compensation award. All right, are you having trouble seeing me over there? Hmm, interesting. Might be just the monitor. All right, but I'm getting, I'm being told that there is trouble seeing my camera. Hmm, you got completely kicked out. You can still hear me though, that's interesting. All right, I, hear, I see a question popping up saying, hey Greg, I can't see your screen all of a sudden. Well, if you're watching right now and you can see my screen, um, please say, hey Greg, I can see your screen, everything's going fine. But maybe not. Looks like you're not, you're not it's not working. 
I'll try it again. Is it popping back up? All right. Well, it looks like there are we are having some technical difficulties. You know what? This is live. That's going to happen. I'm just going to keep talking and imagining that people can see my space and can see my screen as well. So uh, that's how I'm going to kind of go about my day. Um, let me just change this so that we're showing the same thing to everybody. Good, good. All right. If it pops back, it pops back. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Again, this is live. All right. So other factors. Um, the judge uh, can consider pre-existing disability, and that would include non-work-related loss. So that's very useful in New Jersey. We're going to go through the medical records very carefully to determine if there is a basis for us to demand a credit for prior disability. And again, that could be an old sports injury. That could be a high school injury to the same body part. Anything. doesn't matter. Uh, in, in the past, we would recommend clients use voluntary tenders. That's a voluntary prepayment of disability as a way to reduce exposure. We don't recommend that anymore because the statute was changed in August to do away with the credit for attorney's fees for voluntary tenders. There really is no benefit or basis to offer a voluntary tender now under the New Jersey workers' compensation system. Uh, that has essentially been done away with statutorily because, again, you don't get a credit for the uh, against attorney's fees. The petitioner's counsel will still get a credit for attorney's fees even though you're not um, yeah, you've paid that voluntarily and they literally did no work to get those fees. Um, other factors, section 40 liens, New Jersey allows you to be reimbursed from any third party recovery that the uh, petitioner obtains. And so for that reason, we recommend uh, we look into uh, any third party action that they are bringing, how viable is it? And if they choose not to bring a third party action, we can step into their shoes and bring the action ourselves. Um, next, stacking. And again, this is in the handout. Uh, multiple body parts will be stacked together, which can yield an award which is many times higher uh, than it otherwise would be. So be quite cautious about that potential for stacking, uh, which will significantly increase your exposure. All right, looks like we got it working again. Yep, it is, right? All right. Let me just change this around. You got me? All right, other factors, uh, other factors uh, that can affect our exposure. And this one is a little loosey-goosey, and sometimes when I talk about it, uh, my colleagues get a little annoyed. But look, cases are just worth more in the South than they are in the North Jersey. So New Jersey has 15 workers' compensation hearing points. There's eight in the North and seven in the South. New Jersey is basically split uh, by the Raritan River. Raritan River runs basically through Central Jersey. And if you're north of the Raritan River, that's North Jersey. And if you're south of the Raritan River, that's South Jersey. And I'm sorry, everybody in the middle, there is no such thing as Central Jersey. You're either north or south. If you grew up in North Jersey, you probably root for the Giants, New York Giants and New York Jets. And if you grew up in South Jersey, you probably root for the Philadelphia Eagles. And we're just never going to be friends with you. Uh, so uh, there is a little bit of a premium to cases in, in the south, particularly places like Atlantic City. Atlantic City, you can pretty much expect that the average case is going to be worth just about 10% more. Why? The attorneys are just more predacious down there, and they get away with it. That's it. Uh, there's no real reason, but the same injuries we counsel clients are worth slightly more in South Jersey than North Jersey. All right. Time for questions. Uh, I see James saying, Greg, I can see your screen again. Now, that's good. Uh, let me see if there's other questions that I can answer today. 
cut it. Come on. Okay, I can see a bunch of okay a bunch of feedback here. Um, Maureen says, Greg, I missed what you said quickly in the beginning about doing away with credits in New Jersey. What credit? So in New Jersey, um, the voluntary tender uh, benefit to the employer has been done away with. Uh, before August of 2018, Section 64 of our statute said that if you prepay permanent residual disability, petitioner's counsel, their attorney, does not get a fee on the amount you've prepaid. And there were some rules to it. First, you had to explain it to petitioner, and this meant putting it in writing. And you had to pay the tender within six months of them reaching maximum medical improvement. So this is a good way to reduce your exposure. Uh, typically, the petitioner's attorney's fee is 20% of the total award. And of that, the uh, employer respondent was made to pay a certain percentage of the overall award, usually 60%. So whatever you pay in permanent residual disability in New Jersey, you'd always get this 12% on top of it petitioner's attorney's fee. Well, one way to avoid that would be to prepay permanent residual disability. And, you know, in cases where someone has this very significant injury and is very injured, and you know there's going to be a high degree of disability, well, you would certainly be compelled to pay them uh, permanent disability compensation in advance as a way to avoid paying attorney's fees on it later. All right. Uh, so that's that was done away with in August of 2018, and we're no longer recommending that clients offer voluntary tenders uh, just to get the credit against attorney's fees later. There might be good valuable reasons to do it. For example, a petitioner who has maybe really reached MMI but just keeps saying I want more surgery, more treatment, because they just don't want temporary disability benefits to end. Uh, and there's a lot of circumstances where that happens. We'll often counsel a client, hey, just pay a voluntary tender of advanced compensation uh, because you're going to pay it anyway. And that way, this person will go out and get their final expert report, their permanency report, and we'll be able to move the case to closure. So sometimes we'll use it tactically to simply get a case to reach the end of the case. All right, uh, James, Anna, uh, other people saying, Greg, you're frozen. You're just frozen. I can hear you. I can see. All right. And then uh, later on, I see some people saying, I can see your screen again. You're back on. James says, you're good. All right. Anna asks, can we still treat if a patient has met maximum medical improvement. Yes, maximum medical improvement just means that further care is not expected to be curative. It does not mean that the right to ongoing palliative care, and that would be pain control, or uh, things that would facilitate activities of daily living, uh, would end. So no, maximum medical improvement just means, hey, we don't expect this person to recover any further. Further curative care is not gonna be beneficial for this person it's time to move on to giving them a permanency award, but it doesn't mean the right to palliative ongoing care ends. Can, uh, James asked the question, can idiopathic claims that are found compensable uh, have permanency? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, if you get stuck with an idiopathic claim, and in New Jersey, this is, there's lots of different things that can fall under this umbrella. The classic is the just walking along and my knee gave out or the just going down the stairs at work and my ankle collapsed underneath me case. Uh, if that's found compensable, then yes, you will be responsible for permanency in the state. Uh, Lavina asked the question, if you agree to a section 20, how do you re reduce exposure for future claims for the same diagnosis or body part? Uh, will this be considered for a credit? Well, this is why we typically do not recommend, Lavina, 
that we offer Section 20s to people who still work here. Now, a Section 20 in New Jersey is why I get out of bed in the morning, right? It is a full and final lump sum dismissal. However, I don't like offering Section 20s to current employees because it is not a finding of disability and it has no re judicata effect. The person can collect a Section 20, you know, the classic nuisance $5,000 go away for a back sprain Section 20, come back to work, work three more days and say, ouchie, my back again. Now you cannot point to that Section 20 and go, wait, Judge, uh, I get a credit for all those dollars that I just paid on this Section 20 for this exact same body part. It's not going to work. The judge is going to say, well, okay, I know we had medical care or she had medical care and I know there was some treatment there, but that Section 20 does not bar them uh, from bringing further claims for the same body part. So just be really cautious. Uh, generally speaking, a Section 20 where the person still works for you is going to be a dangerous situation because they can bring another claim for the same injury again. So just be cautious about when they are and are not good for your specific instance. All right. Um, well, those are the questions. Let's go back over here. All right. Next time we meet is going to be December 24th, and we're talking all about reimbursement and subrogation under New Jersey Section 40. This is how we claw money back. Uh, don't worry, it's going to be recorded because I know this is Christmas Eve, and if you're like me, you'll be out there doing some last-minute uh, Christmas shopping for everybody in your fam. Uh, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate everybody sticking in there. We had a couple technical difficulties. Uh, everybody asked a question. Uh, if I have your uh, mailing address, I'm going to throw one of these in the um, uh, a mail to you. Thanks for asking questions. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, I hope you have a great week. Bye.